After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your co-host, Becky Shrimpton, and with me, once again, is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hey, Cam. Hello, Becky. How are you? I am very well. Thank you very much. I got a new personal trainer. Uh, She is uh, working the kettlebell with me, and I find it very encouraging because she keeps being like, you are the boss of that kettlebell. (laughs) And uh, more often than not, I just am holding in the whimper of, no, it is the boss of me. (laughs) Uh, So that's happening right now. Oh, that's great. But, uh, yeah. I keep telling myself that I have one month to work out, and it's now gone beyond that. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, before you uh, eventually fall in love with uh, Juliette Binoche at the Indie sure, Spirit Awards yeah, that's coming up. Happen. Yes, I believe She's in not that. nominated. It's fine. Isn't she? Was, didn't she have a film come out this she year? She did. It didn't get nominated. What? I thought it was supposed to be good. It's a rom com uh. thing. Well, not rom com. It's good. Claire Denis, uh, let the sunshine in. Uh, uh. Oh, Cam I, recommends. I, I love Claire Denis. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, I'm sure someone will fall in love with you on a red carpet if sure. just watching your appearances on Great. YouTube. Yes, um, stalkers. That's what I'm after. <laughs> the next person that we have coming, who is actually coming to us from sunny Los Angeles, where you're going to be very soon, is an actress. Uh, she's a voiceover actor. She is a coach. She uh, is directly responsible for me having any sort of voiceover career. And she also has a singing career in the works right now. We're talking about Sunday music. Hey, Sunday. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Becky. Thanks for having me on the show. It is such a pleasure. It's been far too long. I agree. And that was the sweetest introduction. (laughs) (laughs) My pleasure. Well, I believe in it. I mean, um, I came to you when I first moved to Toronto. I think like the first month I moved to Toronto. And uh, my agent was like, oh, you want to do voiceover? Go see Sunday. And uh, I did. And your sessions were were incredibly clear. This is my little marketing Mm, pitch for your sessions. But I I get asked a lot about people who want to get into voiceover. And I'm like, oh, go see Sunday. There's a few other coaches I recommend. But like for animation, you're one of the best in in the city. And in, in the country, too, here in Canada, I would say. And two countries. Oh. She's in L.A. right She's now. She's in L.A., too. <laughs> I can't speak for that. I haven't right, taken enough right, classes down right. there, and I will be held to my word. I'm going to say she is, because uh, <laughs> I've got nothing to lose. Thank and uh, for people who are listening, you uh, you also have a ton of animation credits and TV credits. What are some of your favorite roles you've done, Sunday? I am doing several roles on... Hotel Transylvania, the TV series, and one of my favorite roles on that series, uh, both of them actually, I play Sheldon the Spider and Demented Debbie the Doll, (laughs) Um, and um, Ella from Total Drama Island, I got to fulfill my lifelong dream of playing a singing and dancing princess who, you know, flits through the forest <laughs> which you technically are anyway so uh, right. you know like that's that's that was like I seriously could have done that role for the rest of my life <laughs> and um and I'd say that baby binky from roly-poly Oli, uh way back in the day that is still on the air it's amazing and I played that was my first role was baby binky and I I got to slobber and 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 be a baby on in front of a microphone. So those would be my, I think those would be my, I have a lot of favorite roles, but those are kind of my top three. <laughs> and that's why we do voiceover, because you get to play that baby and not just in a way that would be questionable on film. So you're doing okay. Exactly. Yeah, it's fun to be a character 
as a voice and not have to be in costume in front of an audience. Um, for me, there's something very freeing about that. And yeah, it's except for when you have uh, 20 producers on the other side of the glass and they're just kind of like <laughs> silently shaking their heads as they look at the director and the director's just smiling and nodding at you. And you're like, okay, well, this is uh, what I do for a living. This is, I have chosen to put myself in this position. Yeah, that's a little, I agree with you because you end up trying to read their mouths um, and you don't know what they're saying because, of course, it's in silence. You're watching them discuss what you're doing in the booth. And so there is something very nerve wracking about that. Um, but the good news is they'll tell you if they don't like it. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, they don't have any, there's no shyness there. So, so I still find it freeing regardless, especially if they start laughing, you know, especially if they laugh at what, what you do during a take. Um, I just find that to be, I don't know. I find it very, um, rewarding. Well, like, oh, I'm funny. Yay. Well, you made a human connection, right? And that's kind of what the entire point of art is, is to make a human connection. Yes, exactly. Well put. That's great. Well, the film that you picked today is full of human connection. Thank you so much for bringing it. I, I had never seen it before. It is available on Netflix, uh, mm -hmm. so people have no excuses. It's a nice tight 130. Yeah, I, I will also say that it's uh, this is a real one. That even though it's not like a M. Night Shyamalan movie, it's full of twists, kind of. So I would recommend watching it first because we're probably going to talk about the whole plot. You can't really do that otherwise. No, and, and you can't yeah. go back and it's just so impactful. Yeah. Uh, and reading the description too, which we'll get into, it seems like it's a total bummer and it's really not no, a total no. bummer. Very nice. so, Very pleasant. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Uh, Sunday, what movie did you pick? Monsieur Lazare. That's right, from 2011. Uh, it was uh, Canada's submission to the Oscars that year and was uh, made it to the um, foreign film nominations. It was mm -hmm. it against six other uh, six other things. And you can see why. It's so freaking artfully crafted. Um, but we're going to get into that. Sunday, of all the films you could have picked, why did you pick this one? <laughs> I love French Canadian films. That was that will be the first point mm. I will make. Um, I have a thing for French Canadian anything, theater, film, um, and I chose it because it's it was a healing story, or it is. I'll speak in the present. I chose it because it's a healing story that I think actually points people who have experienced any kind of grief in a direction that is um, more than beneficial, but is, is, is about relating to the world through your grief instead of isolating and separating from your grief. So I feel there's a very strong message in it. And, and finding, I mean, we're going to get into this, but um, for me, the concept of finding the power of story which is a lot of what this is about and uh, and finding the power of narrative um, is just so transcendent for me, especially now with social media and as we're watching things get more and more convoluted in the way story works to bring that back to the fact that story can also heal us as well as destroy us, I think is really helpful for me. Yes, agreed. I, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Now, you talked about this as being a film about grief. Can you just give us a kind of a brief little plot summary? Again, spoiler alerts, people. Yeah, if they haven't. <laughs> You're too <laughs> yes. far now. You're too far now. We're going to talk about it all. <laughs> you're in, you're in. Right. So um, the, the, okay, so I'll do my best with the plot summary. So the, the Monsieur Lazar is an Algerian refugee and he's living in Montreal and he applies for a teaching position um, 
by which he's not actually legally a teacher, but somehow gets away with with it and they hire him. I have the answer to that later, but go ahead. <laughs> yes. And oh, good. I, I, this is good. I want to hear it. Um, and he he embarks on this journey. Clearly, we see how his life unfolds as he starts teaching, because we don't know a lot about him in the beginning, that that uh, he has lost, he lost his family in Algeria. And I believe it was a it was a fire. There's more to that story there. But um, and 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 he teaches he teaches these these kids um, on a daily basis. He's their elementary school teacher, and uh, um, I don't know how else to kind of summarize the plot. I'm not that great at summarizing a plot, but but maybe you can help me out here, and I can kind of pick up where I've left off. So I mean, he's teaching these kids, but there's more to the story than just that. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is that these kids have uh, the film starts with the kids teacher hangs themselves and quite a few of the kids see that she hangs herself in their classroom just two of them yeah two of them yeah but i mean it's traumatic enough so the kids are also like traumatized so he he comes from this background of trauma and the kids are all recently traumatized yes good i love that yes and somehow i did not i i it's very interesting i've seen the movie three times and somehow i didn't remember the hanging part um i don't know why like i remember it now of course it's very vivid and it's very strong but there's some reason when i went to summarize the plot that it didn't stand out for me uh i guess because for me it was so much a story about him and the kids but that was as a result of that occurrence at the school that's why he applied to the school was because that happened oh totally so and i i forgot this time like i've seen it a few times myself and I totally forgot all the, like, Simone stuff, the little boy, and, like, the fact yeah. that there is some questions over how the teacher treated him and how he treated her, and yes. whether or not he thinks it's his fault. I totally forgot that entire aspect. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting what we have watch a film different at different points in our lives you know there's certain things that stand out so yes and thank you for filling that part in. Yeah, that's no really important which is so funny to me because i found the part with the kids more resonant to me um yeah. and it's also just because of some of the work i'm doing right now but um watching the kids journey through trauma uh was it, i think what triggered me the most in that final climactic scene which we'll get to eventually um i was in absolute tears just watching that kid like it's watching young actors who can process feelings that well and that rawly without making a meal out of it is Mm. just mind-boggling to me because adult actors can't do that 90 percent of the time so well she if it helps she won every possible canadian acting award (laughs) for that role even though she was a kid both of them did the the boy and the girl who are both uh that's uh sophie nelis and uh mla neron i think is how you pronounce their names and they're both unbelievable um but to to start out with uh, the balance of this film and partially why it works so well is because it keeps flipping viewpoints back and forth between the adults and the kids and the inciting incident is from the children's point of view uh, when they go in and they see the, um, they start at recess and you have the cacophony of the schoolyard and then the, it's the little boy's turn to go inside and get milk and he goes in to get the milk for the for the classroom and he sees his his uh, teacher hanging from the ceiling and it's such a an incredible 
subtle shot mm. like you just get that little sliver of her through the door and then he runs and then you have this like remarkable single shot where it's just silence kind of uh, he's run off to go get help and there's just silence just looking at an open door as you hear the kids and and that reminds me so much of um the Buffy episode, The Body, where there's no music throughout the entire thing. It's it's silence throughout most of it and just people interaction interacting. And a lot of people who have dealt with grief have talked about how music goes away and sound goes away. There's just you and your heartbeat. Yeah. Um, and the filmmaking is just so incredibly reflecting of that. And it just builds tension so well because you yeah. don't know where it's going from that. Exactly. Yeah. And the the relationships... Are uh, the like the relationship arcs in this film are so powerful. Like it just, it, you know, Monsieur Lazar's relationship to the children, his relationship to the principal, his relationship to the young school teacher, you know, in the classroom down the hall. Um, the, you know, that that that's also a part of like the connecting web for me in the sense of in the sense of a great story not only the writing being great, but also just the way in which the director has connected these people. So they're working off one another. And I don't know for you, but for me, that does just doesn't happen in every project, in every film. Like sometimes you'll see material that's, it's a, it's a good story, but it's not, you can feel that the actors aren't quite there. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't have the same impact on, on the audience. Whereas this is just so, in real time, they really take you through it. Well, interestingly, this was shot in chronological order. Hmm. So they did shoot him discovering the body first. And um, the director, I'm going to look up his name. I apologize. Uh, Fallardeau, isn't it? Yes, it is Fallardeau. Thank you. Uh, Philippe, Philippe Fallardeau. Yeah, Philippe Fallardeau, who has done a bunch of other great films. Uh, hmm. He's just a great filmmaker. He wanted to start out with that incident because he's like, this is the crux of everything. And this literally is the inciting incident that's not coming 15 minutes into the movie. Thank you, good script writing. Uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah. you're you're getting that um, that initial shock to our systems and the kids also got it as well they suddenly understood what kind of film they were in it sets the tone for everything so that absolutely. gives what a gift to the performers absolutely agreed and, yeah and I'm sure everybody knows at this point people don't shoot movies chronologically no, generally yeah. right that's really a luxury no. yeah yeah no why yeah. is that? Is it just because certain things are available at certain times if you have one location? Yeah, yeah. This is probably, I, I would assume that they were kind of allowed due to the confidence that it's based on a play, like knowing that it was based on something else. Because even, uh, I mean, their main performer is not a Canadian performer. They went and sought out somebody who's like a pretty fancy like comedy actor from another part mm -hmm. of the world. So that's, that's right. tough. If you get a fancy actor, you tend to try to base your schedule around filming them as quickly as possible so they can leave Canada and <laughs> uh, not have to do anything else. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's usually it, is just people's schedules. Uh, I think quite often very small productions might do it, um, or productions where it needs to be like a very specific uh, timeline. Like th It's interesting that they do this mostly for the good emotional feel here. Um, mm -hmm. Because otherwise it's usually like somebody needs to grow out a beard or something. <laughs> I think that the, uh, the probably the kids uh, acting might have been helped from it too. Like it's much easier to do that arc. Not much easier. <laughs> it is slightly easier to do the incredibly hard job if you're doing it in order. I I bet because it was based on a on a one man show, mm. um, and and the actual the writer of that 
the playwright is in the film. She plays Sophie. Um, she plays um, Sophie Nelise's mom, Alice's mom. Oh wow! Yeah, um, I looked up. I, I I did some research on this film just out of my own curiosity before you even contacted me about this this podcast. From that perspective, it was a one man show. There's a theatricality, if that's a word, to the energy of the story. And so by on, they, it seems that they had the liberty and the privilege to honor that kind of storytelling and do it in order, which, like we're talking about, often just does not happen in film. They do it according to everybody's schedules and locations and da-da-da. So there was something, I, I don't know the answer from the director's standpoint. I don't know if either of you do. But I, I think they probably set out to do this specifically for the um, the benefit of the acting and the cast and the story to come forward. I, I'm sure that they, they planned it that way. Like, let's do it this way if we can. So, yeah. I'm pretty sure that, uh, that that's the case. That's why he did it. And it took him, you mentioned before, this was uh, a one-man show that was written, mm-hmm. um, that I would love to see it because I'm very curious as to how, it must yeah. be like a storytelling aspect um, yeah. to it. And uh, Felig, who plays Monsieur Lazare, uh, is known for his stand-up one-man show mm. comedy. Like, he's similar to the same dude who was in De Père en Flic. Yeah. Yeah, he does that. It's a very French style of stand-up comedy that yeah, we don't really yeah, do. Yeah, like a kind of narrative stand-up comedy. Yeah, I think... Japanese people there's a Japanese yeah. style that's very similar to that as well um, but uh, yeah we don't do that no. <laughs> really um, but that requires so much concentration and attention and understanding of narrative flow and this film when you see it uh, there's moments where you're talking about he's in an immigration uh, an immigration trial of whether or not he's actually in danger and is a refugee is allowed to stay and you've got these moments where there are just these single shots on him as he tells the story about what happened to him back home and mm-hmm. it's not a close-up it's not gratuitous it's just a very standard medium shot and this dude holds it and he controls it and you're there with him the entire time every beat and he's not crying he's not over dramatizing he's just this is what happened and it was horrible and you're like yes that was horrible <laughs> thank you yeah. for sharing and you want to say thank you you want to be like yeah thank you for just saying it and making it plain and not making a meal of it yeah and you wonder why why he's not falling apart like really crumbling i mean you can see that that's happening within the character but he's they're not exposing it in the sense of there's 15 scenes of him breaking down because there's not you know there's very very little of that i think there's one moment where he's on the steps and i can't remember at what point it is he's on the steps i think outside of his home or outside of the young teacher that he goes for dinner i can't remember exactly where but where we do see him kind of crying and um but what's so powerful for me is 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 the way in which the the grief is not the focal point it's the it's the it's the grief is the the grief is the inspiration is the initiator of his connection to the to the kids it's the, that's how he moves through it as opposed to i've seen many films where you know you can see sort of how the how the the story gets carried away in the grief of the character because a tragic event happened. And it's not that that's wrong. It's just that this is more interesting to me. (laughs) Oh, yeah, totally. And I think, I mean, what you're seeing is, which works very well, is 
the the like crazy way he chooses to express his grief is to pretend to be a teacher <laughs> which yes. is nice because it's just a plot point and yeah. yeah but then you also kind of see i think actually on both sides a thing that really interests me that i'd forgotten about is it's not about people who are like so sad they can't do anything it's more about like people who are in denial and high functioning because the weird thing is the class is never doing poorly it's not yeah. necessary he's not really necessarily like too sir with loving them out of being a bad class into being a good class seems like they're a good class and they stay a pretty good class and they're pleased that he's there keeping them in line but yeah. part of the reason they're a good class is that none of them are actually dealing with this tragedy yes now, part of the film is, and one of the one of the things I like so much about it is that we've talked about the grief aspect of it. We've talked about the fact that he's a refugee and he's going through an immigration trial. But there's so many other things yeah. that are coming into it. So when is yeah. too soon to start a new relationship? How do you connect with somebody? Um, just well, being a teacher. I feel like it's one of the best movies about being a teacher I've seen in a long time. 100%. Um, yeah. There's also a whole aspect of um, if we're going too far into not being able to connect with our with our students. Yeah. Um, which they specifically talk about the physicality of that, but also like how emotionally involved are you allowed to be with your students? Yeah. How do you encourage them that way? Um, there's so much going on here and nothing yeah. overpowers anything else, really. No. Everything's yeah. very light, light-handed. And I mean, I'm sure there's people who would argue with me being like, I'm being hit over the head <laughs> with immigration rhetoric. And I'm like, maybe that's your point but of I view. But I think it also, but, it, it doesn't tie anything up necessarily super neatly. Yeah. It quite often leaves almost all of those completely open including having like both sides to most debates you know yeah, um, yeah. where he seems yeah. very lonely but also maybe this person isn't right and maybe he's not ready to move on so for the dating i feel like the teacher thing they do a very good job of like uh to talk about the final scene like the it's very important that he gives that girl a hug but then you find out that like simone was hugely disturbed by like a hug he did not want yeah. and that made him feel terrible so that's interesting because it gives you both sides of that where it's absolutely right that she shouldn't have given him the hug and the, but the other girl really wanted one so it's like oh yeah this is a they kind of give you a little bit of everything same with i mean there's aspects of like racism and refugee stuff but it's never too hard no they're never really bad about it but they're definitely like rude about it <laughs> but so much is so subtle like him yeah. bringing treats from algeria to the dance and they're yeah. like oh yeah. what are these exactly <laughs> and you're like this is this is great um and normally i have I'm always a bit like, okay, white dude making a movie about refugees, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. But, like, it's just so subtly and respectfully handled that you're like, yeah, I'm in. You get this one. He's interesting. Uh, Fowler Doe is an interesting guy because he seems very specifically obsessed with, or not obsessed. That sounds weird. Uh, he's very interested in the experience of immigrants and refugees in Canada and in general. Like a lot of his movies, Congo Rama has stuff that deals with it. My internship in Canada deals with it. Uh, his, his Canadian, or is it his English feature? The good lie is also, yeah, he works quite a lot with like uh, French speaking African actors. Um, and uh, yeah. So I, I think it's interesting because yeah, why it works is you can tell that this is a guy who has kind of a lifelong commitment to that story and is interested in it. I don't know any of the background of that. I just know from his filmography, it's something he keeps coming back to and is quite often the most interesting parts of his films. Uh, my internship in Canada is a bit goofier. I don't know if it'd be up everyone's alley, but the part that works really well is that it's, it's again, a story kind of told from an immigrant's point of view 
and kind of processing what Canadian culture is like. So he, uh, first and foremost, Congo Rama has the greatest trailer ever known to mankind because the first little bit like sort of shows you what the movie's about and then the entire second half is just the crew attempting to wrangle an emu, yeah. uh, which is hilarious. <laughs> Um, but to come to come uh, with what you're talking about, Cam, uh, uh, he did an interview with Offscreen.com, mm. and he said uh, that he had wanted to go to Algeria in 1992 when he was shooting uh, La Corte Destination du Monde, and he was uh, getting ready to go there, and then the bomb exploded at the Algeria airport. He had to cancel his trip, and then the war started immediately after, oh. and so he was never able to actually go. Um, so as soon as he, he went, and I didn't know anything about the Algerian uh, Civil War, and yeah. then I looked it up, and what his wife is specifically protesting about. And I was like, oh, I can see why she'd be pissed because they basically forgave a whole bunch of war criminals. Yeah. Um, the only thing, the new government coming in, they they shut down elections because the Islamists were trying to take over and it looked like they were going to win. Um, and this created this whole civil mm. war. People were being killed in the street. I think they said something like 1,500 people died. Like it was like, wow. uh, it was a big, a big thing um, over a long period of time. And then they, when the government was trying to, make everything better they forgave all the crimes with the exception of people who had committed rapes mass murder or oh there's a third or bombings that's good that they got the mass murder yeah, mass murder <laughs> but like if you killed one dude you were sure. fine all totally right. cleared so that's a lot of people were pissed off about that for obvious reasons yeah. that general amnesty was given so hmm. so uh now i know more about yeah. that <laughs> thank good. you felardo yeah good job monsieur lazar <laughs> Oh, man. Now, uh, Sunday, you teach kids as part of your coaching practice. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, child actors are notorious for being challenges on film. They can really make or break a, a film intended for adults. Um, yep. What is it like teach or coaching kids to work on this kind of level? Uh, on a film like this? On a film like this or in the work you do in general? What? Well, I think they're very separate because um, because the film is dealing with heavy duty emotional content, and the voice acting is dealing with I'd say a little more fun material. You know, it's a bit lighter. Well, it's a lot lighter. So, I guess I'll speak to the coaching. So, the question is, what is it like dealing and with children in this regard, like coaching them? That's correct. Yeah, they're free spirited. So there's an there's a a desire for kids tend to want to jump into something that's fun and freeing and gives them um, an opportunity to exercise their voice and play a character. And I find kids really, really jump into it. Um, they don't have to be professional actors, even they can, you know, come from no acting background at all. But some children really gravitate to being somebody other than themselves like if you know in animation they might get to play an angry an angry bear um you know who who sounds like them but is is not like them in terms of personality so they get to play with their emotions that's what i'm trying to express is that it's an outlet for them to explore and express different emotions that they may not be able to do in their everyday lives at school or with mom and dad so it gives them an opportunity to be more who they are and i think as the coach you know the parents have stepped out i don't allow parents into the room when i'm coaching and so it's the coach and the child as opposed to what mommy thinks the kid should do or daddy or whatever so it's it's it seems to be very freeing for them and um and and then 
you know, the odd time I'll be working with a child who's very resistant. So it's not easy at all to to open them to playing any kind of emotion because it's sort of weird. They feel like it's weird. It's un. It's like it's like why you know some some kids when they first start working with me they kind of look at me like who are you? Like, you're strange. And, and then once they start to experience the work a little more and, 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 and realize the fun in it, they open up to me, but it's, that is not easy. So I can appreciate, you know, sort of reflecting back to the film as a director. um, That is a very, very important relationship and a very delicate one. It's a fine balance, you know, and in, in terms of the casting, I mean, I think you know when that child walks in the room and they read that that's the, that's the one. They have to have a certain amount of uh, emotional range but also a, a, a calmness about them to just kind of go in that direction. So I feel that voice acting and the, and, the, and film acting, I feel they're, they're quite different. They both involve connection. But film acting in this particular film is it's not a comedy is 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 quite um in its own in its own category of of the depth of emotion that a child would need to be able to access so the director's job is is like a coach and and i would imagine if it were me you know there would be a lot of easy kind of conversation and warming the kids up even on a daily basis while you're shooting and to a certain extent, I do that with children if they're tense. If, they, if I can see they're having a bad day and I'm voice coaching, I can work with that on, by not addressing it. You don't mm. say, you're having a bad day. Let's talk <laughs> about it. You don't say that to a kid because they're going to be like, screw you. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. No. I, you know, so, so it's more being the storyteller, engaging them where they're at so that they start to unwind their the tension that they're experiencing and they feel safe and when they feel safe they start to talk and so those kids in the film um those two main uh, um alice and i forget the little boy's name simone simone you know they would have had to feel very safe in order to deliver the way that they did so bravo to this to the crew and the director because that is otherwise I don't think you get that out of you just don't get that out of a kid they're just honest they're who they are they're not gonna they're not gonna force it an adult might be an adult actor might might have to get to that emotional point with a really crappy director and you know the actor doesn't feel safe at all but they still have to get there a a kid they're not gonna go there they're just not gonna go there it's not gonna happen if they don't feel uh, the safety and trust. It's just not going to happen. I don't believe. I don't know. What do you guys think? I think you're you're right entirely. Yeah. And, I mean, and, I trust you. Yeah. You're the problem. Um, well, and I'm also fascinated by the the idea that kids have access to that kind mm. of rage and emotion. And um, and I think talking about uh, the final crescendo where he's screaming, yeah. it, it wasn't my fault, was it my fault, um, is just so stunningly done. And he means every word. And uh, he had apparently, that was done in the first take as well, which is mind boggling. Um, and he apparently... Um, had had a trauma in his mm. past. They, of course, do not specify what that was, but he was coming from a real place of something that had happened to him. Um, and to be able to have the, the maturity to be able to make the emotional connection to something that had happened to you, but still keep the separation of 
that happened to me, but that's not happening now and be able to come out of it and and come from a place of profession is why we give actors awards because feeling those things doesn't feel good. No, no, no. And I mean, they're both, uh, they both continue to act. I know Sophie Nelise also is pretty amazing at, she's got a pretty accentless English. She's in a lot of like Hollywood stuff now. So yep. yeah, that's. Uh, I think that they're. It's also that they're two supremely talented kids, and I would extend it to even more. Like even the like prissy annoying girl is pretty great. They're all great. <laughs> yeah, like there's not great. a there's not a dud in the bunch. No, yeah. Um, which Cam, that actually leads me to my next question because uh, you have been watching a lot of ultra realistic uh, child films. That's very sure. popular right now. So eighth grade, big nineties, yeah. uh, to lesser extent, super dark times, which you recommended yeah, to me and yeah, it traumatized sure. me. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, it's great. It's just yeah. like holy shit. <laughs> Uh, a lot of violence. <laughs> a lot of violence. Uh, unexpected violence. But yeah. um, how does this sort of he- uh, hold up to those kinds of things that are being praised for that? Um, I mean, I think that this, I think that the performances are probably the same. I, I, I think that the, this does have a bit more of a, like, uh, tightened filmmaking style, which is fine. I, I don't think that it feels, like, overly produced. But, yeah, I do think that there's something, yeah, the performances are the same. And I think it is what you're talking about. You're letting the kids be themselves i think there's probably got to be a trick casting as well where as much as you're you want a kid to maybe feel something different for the most part i think you're casting children like you cast non-actors that you want a kid who has a bit of something you're looking for on the surface yes totally agree yes because because you don't want to have to you don't want to have to break a kid down in order to get it, right? Because yeah. they're just not going to go there. No. They're, they're, yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know if this is off topic, but it's something that's really uh, ringing true for me that the, 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 the two, so um, uh, Alice and Simone um, and Monsieur Lazar, I, as an actor myself, I grew up in the theater and doing film and television. Something that I, really reflect on when I watch anything on television or or film is whether someone is an eye actor, a mouth actor, a nose actor, a forehead (laughs) actor. And I know it sounds really funny and it's because it's, but the, like Amelie was an eye in that film. She's an eye actress. And, and Monsieur Lazar for me is as well as was, um, as was uh, Alice and Simone, because all I have to do in that film is look at their eyes and I'm brought into the depth of the story on a level that I can't even comprehend or, or articulate. And, mm-hmm. and, and though, you know, they were like the three main characters and Monsieur Lazar, you know, that he, he, he didn't speak that much. Yeah. And, and to hold that, entire story within and to be able to see the depth within just the actor's eyes for me is remarkable and I love love that actor so much uh and you know that's another reason I chose the film because I was mesmerized by the capacity that he has just through his presence you know, and, and children of that quality, like these two in the film, have a kind of presence. And I really feel that 
you know, it's just an interesting way to look at actors. They're eye actors. Some actors, their entire careers, everything they do, they'll always be mouth actors. You just, <laughs> every time you look at them, you look at their mouth. Yeah. Because the mouth is actually the most engaged part. Like Julia so, Roberts. Totally. <laughs> And you can't, and, 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 and it's not like, again, it's not, I'm not, it's not a judgment. It's, it's more of a fascination, but I, but I find the eye actors, the ones that can, the, I just find there's a different presence there. That's all. I find there's an incredible depth to, uh, to communicating a story with saying, by saying nothing. That's all. And I, and I found that fascinating with this, with Monsieur Lazar, with that particular actor, uh, to, to ha to have that depth and capacity just it just wows me it's it's a it's I, I find it really I don't think that's easy to do no I would agree and I think um, a lot of actors are searching for what kind of actor they are <laughs> you know they don't uh, you don't necessarily know until either someone points it out or it suddenly clicks with you of like oh everything is going through this point in my body yeah right. Right, exactly. And, and, and the, yeah, and just, you know, Alice's eyes, I mean, her eyes are amazing. She, she's, she, I've seen her even as a young adult, I saw her, saw her in the book thief, mm -hmm. um, mm. you know, and she, and she still has those eyes, you know, like, like some, some kids grow out of that kind of thing. Like they, so they, they lose that presence, but I, I, think she's maintained it um anyway it was sort of a side note but there is something about for me the depth of a film that's communicated in a lot of gestures and silence that is very powerful and and doesn't need a lot of words and his grief story didn't have a lot of words there was yeah. there wasn't a lot of information really no. it was very subtle and yet we knew and felt his grief so deeply yeah he opens a box, he looks at a picture, he attends a, uh, a hearing. That's all you really get. Yeah. Right. And then, and then, you know, in the end, he gets to tell his story in a storytelling fantasy fairy tale kind of way. Um, Which also parallels the, the death of the, of the teacher as well, right? It's, it's exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I just I just got chills when I, because the, that that was so poignant for me and um, and, and, and how the, how he holds the tension of his story inside and in his body and his culture to a certain extent too, right? Because remember the scene where he's dancing and the teacher comes in? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was, that was a, a, an element of his origins, you know, and it was so beautiful and so powerful that moment and that scene. And, and then the food that he brings to the party, um, you know, so we start to we start to get inklings of his expression, from, like his 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 organic expression, mm. uh, being in Canada and a refugee, and then going through the the court case and finding out whether or not he can stay in the country. And but but there is that tension of being who he is. You know that that's part of what what the 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 female teacher whose name escapes me, she calls out of him. She says something along mm. the lines of, it's a shame to not tell your story. 
Yeah. yeah, which which we now get to see, which is wonderful. And then the fetish, fetish, fetishization, is that the word I'm looking at? Fetish, sure. I don't know. That one of the fact that he is an immigrant because she's like listening to exotic music and being like, oh, you're exiled. What a grand adventure. And you get a little bit of that. And it's like, <laughs> ooh, like yeah. you're cringy. Yeah. But you also get that she's trying to come from a place of empathy. It's wonderful. Uh, and with that note, we're actually at favorite moments, guys. I know we've been talking about oh. so many of the good ones. Uh, Sunday, what's your favorite moment? Oh, God, that's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just as I'm about to say my favorite moment, another favorite moment pops in. But I am going to say that my favorite moment is the dancing scene when he's alone in the classroom at night and he stands up and it, expresses that. It's so beautiful and so beautifully shot too. this little like fly on the wall thing. So like you mm. feel a little naughty. <laughs> yes, absolutely. absolutely. Such a personal moment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like the what you talk about with the, the teacher that wants to date him. Um, I really like that aspect because it's interesting because he's never, he's wise to it from like minute one and feels awkward about it. But it's also a thing where I think you kind of see her life and you feel like, like he feels like he owes her and he would like to be her friend. Um, but it's such a, such a like delicate situation that is so like pleasantly played because it also has aspects of that race stuff. Cause she seems kind of like weirdly obsessed with Africa <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I, I love that scene because it's just, it could be played so much wackier or it could be played, uh, like it could be more surprising to him, but the fact that he's always kind of in on it and, he, and it's, it's how he reacts to all of it that, that plays so well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think for me, um, there's just so much I really enjoy. But I love the moment where they're, the two kids get into the fight at the um, in the dance. And you find out that they're fighting over a picture that one of the kids stole from Simone. Uh, and the picture is an actual picture that he took of their teacher. And he drew her with wings and a noose around her neck. And it's like oh, this is how deeply messed up you are. Like, it was interesting to see just, you'd be like, oh, they're normal kids. And then you get that little, like, flash of insight into, oh, no, the kids aren't all right. Um, which I genuinely love the subtlety of that because you'd just be riding along and then it would just drop you at, like, a, yeah. like, you know, uh, drop you like a hurricane. That's not how you say that. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just absolutely devastating. And uh, I have not felt like that in a movie in a long time. And this built tension in a way I have not felt in a film in a long time. So good work, fellow Doe. You deserve an Oscar nomination for this. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and again, this movie's on Netflix, guys. It's an hour and a half. It's super quick. It's a really great little ride. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, and I can also recommend Sunday Muse for all of your coaching and voiceover yeah. needs. And music, too. Sunday how do people find you and what's going on? Oh my. Well, um, I am, people can find me online at sundaymuse.com, S-U-N-D-A-Y-M-U-S-E.com, or for voiceover coaching at greatbigvoices.com. You can also find me on Facebook at Sunday Muse Voiceover. I have a, a you know, a separate business page. And I am, um, I'm currently recording music. I'm in Los Angeles and I am um, heading back to to lovely T.O. 
March 6th. And um, yeah, I I think there was something else I was going to say, but I can't remember. <laughs> we'll tweet out everything that you want us to send. So uh, send it on over and come check out our Twitter. We're at RCM Pod. Come follow us and hang out. Yeah. Uh, Cam, how can people find you? Uh, I'm at KemFess on Twitter and at iCram on Instagram. And you can always follow Hollywood Sweet Stuff where I'm on red carpets and doing whatever. And yeah, more to come. Yeah. And then for me, you can find me on the Twitter, Atlas Shrimpton. That's the masculine Shrimpton over there. I think at the point this comes out, I can talk about this. Uh, I have a new podcast coming out from the Globe and Mail. Uh, it is a tech podcast, uh, but I am the pop culture host because, of course, I am. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the title yet, but uh, that'll be dropping first week of March is when the trailer drops. And it'll be coming out every week after that for the next six weeks, all throughout March and April. I'm cool. super stoked about it. And uh, it's full of people who are way smart harder than me <laughs> and that's been super fun so uh yeah that's everything that's going on there uh sunday thank you so much for joining us thank you both cam and becky it's an absolute pleasure thanks for having me on board entirely let's go get some kombucha <laughs> okay baby <laughs> thanks for listening to the royal canadian movie podcast if you like what we're doing please remember to rate us and subscribe on itunes or on your favorite podcatcher it helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.